Welcome back to Coffee with Kojo, a podcast produced by students in the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University. My name is Rocky Daly, and I'm an associate professor in the school. This episode is hosted by graduate student McCade Iverson and features a conversation with well-known SDSU journalism alum and photographer Greg Lotza. Greg spoke with McCade about his time at SDSU and some of his photography projects. Hey Greg, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So like I mentioned, you are a Kojo alum. So can you tell us what your time was like as a student at SC State, maybe what your major was, um, maybe some things that you were involved in, things like that? Oh boy, I had a crazy college career. I, uh, I grew up as a farm kid near Letcher, South Dakota, and uh, just always assumed I was going to go back to the farm. And so I came to college thinking, well, I'll just get a degree and chose engineering of all things and had very little math and chemistry background <laughs> and just basically started a long line of flunking out of several majors uh, and being very aimless before I found journalism. And I probably had, I think I counted, I had five different majors in my first couple of years, completely aimless. Uh, the typical party kid didn't really want to go to class, uh, very aimless and, uh, discovered journalism. And about that time, my sister who was dating an Argus leader photographer at the time, said, why don't you go follow Mike around uh, for a day on the job and see what you think? You know, maybe you need some direction in that way. And so I did that and it was probably his most boring day on the job at the paper. <laughs> and it was turned out to be one of the most exciting days of my life because it really turned on a light in my head. Mm-hmm. And we did, I just thought, this is pretty dang cool. I get to drive around and take pictures and this is a job. And so I started to kind of lean into that direction within the journalism department at SDSU, uh, kind of holding on to the idea that I may be a reporter yet, but photography kind of took hold of me and, and uh, things blossomed at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, at that point, I was, got involved with the Collegian. Um, my wife was also a journalism major. My, she was my fiance at the time. And so we kind of grew through those ranks together. She was a collegiate editor for a year and I was a photo editor. And then I worked at instructional instructional media for my last year in school and uh, uh, got into newspapers after that. Cool. So when you were working with the collegian, did you do a lot of photography with them? Yeah, I did only photography. So I did, well, I did a little bit of writing every now and then they'd have us write columns on things that interested us, which was kind of fun. And I actually did write quite a bit as a freelancer uh, for various farm magazines for a few years after uh, graduation, but writing never attracted me as much as photography did. Mm-hmm. Um, photography was always my first love, and and I seemed to get in a lot more trouble when I wrote stories than when I just took pictures, because pictures don't, don't really lie. But And I'm not saying my reporting was a lie, but you got in a lot more trouble if you if you mistakenly quoted somebody or didn't have the right angle on a story. And um, I had my name show up in letters letters to the editor of, in a couple of major farm magazines, and that was like, oh boy, I don't like this at all. <laughs> and so, 
any writing I did from that point on was just feature writing and more fluffy stuff, which I enjoyed more anyway. I did not like issues reporting. And uh, at this point in time, I don't do any writing at all unless it's captions for photos and uh, or trying to trying to talk to subjects and things like that. Sure. But uh, but yeah, it was mostly collegian, and uh, we had three class had three photo classes at SCSU. Uh, basic photography with Jan Griesenbrock, and then he moved on, and Frank Clock came in during that time as the photo instructor. And we had uh, advanced photography and then photojournalism, and those are the three classes we could take that had any photo relation. But at the same time, a good buddy of mine uh, by the name of Matt Krieger was in school with me, and we both had the same goals and really kind of pushed each other outside of class to get better and better and better. And that was as much of an education as uh, going to Kojo was, uh, not to belittle Kojo's work, but it was, and of course, it was very important to do that. But mm-hmm. some of that real world experience where we would just take off and go cover something for the fun of it was really uh you know, hands-on experience. Yeah. What kind of things would you do together? Would you just kind of like take random pictures and see, you know, who's came out the best or what was kind of your, your guys' strategy when it came No, it wasn't, wasn't really a competition. He was at that time, he was always a better photographer than I was. So it wasn't really like, like I felt like I needed to, to get better than him. It was more, Hey, something's going on in Sioux Falls this afternoon. Let's go down and just shoot it like a, a demonstration or, you know, this was kind of during the time of the first Gulf War. And so there would be demonstrations in town and in Brookings sometimes. And, and so that was kind of a kind of a national story localized and just kind of interesting to cover. And then we would go out and do our own things and compare notes and show each other what we got. But uh, just having that out of classroom work was was really one of the most valuable things I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on to one of my next questions, you mentioned that your wife also went to SDSU. She was, um, a fellow journalism major and also worked at the Collegian, right? Yes. Um, is that how you, is that how you met her through, um, both being journalism majors and working at the Collegian? You know, it wasn't ironically, we lived in the same apartment building out at countryside, which is, uh, east of the, of the frost arena, about a half mile. And uh, I knew her roommates and we would actually take that. We both had mountain bikes and we would end up biking to campus at about the same time uh, on different days. And I don't know, I just kind of got to know her that way and noticed her and we started to talk. And, and then all of a sudden we realized we had a lot in common and that we were both were interested in journalism and had just both started the journalism major there. And I don't know. We just kind of flourished together that way. And we had that in common. And uh, so, yeah, I guess it, w- it was a, a journalism inspired relationship. Uh, she is not in the journalism world anymore. And I guess I'm not either being a freelance corporate photographer. But uh, yeah, that's how it all started. Okay, cool. Do you want to tell us a little bit um, about your freelance work? Sure. In the beginning, uh, I Way, way, way back in college even, I started to do freelance work on the side from my regular newspaper work. And from an early time, I realized that was the career that I eventually would want beyond newspapers and beyond everything else. I just thought, hey, this is great to be able to run out for an afternoon and make you know, more money normally 
in a whole week in that one afternoon by freelancing, then, you know, I, I thought that would be a great career to just do that full time. And of course it's not that easy. <laughs> I came to discover, but uh, I would take a couple of assignments a week, whether it was for farm magazines or for the Argus leader down in Sioux Falls, they would have us shoot stuff up on campus and then actually bus it down to Sioux Falls. And this is kind of a, this will date me, you know, this is the early nineties. We would shoot it on film. And uh, I'd go down to the collegian office and develop the film and then have to run out to the Greyhound station, which was up on the, the exit to the north, the Highway 14 exit, the north one off of I-29. And every day the Greyhound bus would stop there at about four o'clock or so and you could put a package on there. And then you have to call somebody at the Argus to go to the Greyhound station, pick up the package. And that's how I got our images down to the, to the Argus. I mean, it's kind of, sound, kind of sounds like the Pony Express compared to what <laughs> you know technology is today, where you can just put it on your phone and and send it wherever you want. But that's how it was. It was the the actual logistics of getting the film into somebody's hands was half the battle, as opposed to even taking the photo in the first place. I mean, first you had to take the shot, and then you had to get it to where it needed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, so that was it was it was neat to have that history to look back on but I would not want to go back to that time because it, it was a real pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's how it began. And then I kept doing that through my newspaper years. I worked at a couple of papers in uh, one in Kansas and a couple of internships in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and then made it back to the Argus in 1994, Argus leader in Sioux Falls, and just was freelancing all through that time and getting more and more clients that way. And then in 1997, uh, Gateway 2000, which was the, a big computer company down in Sioux City at the time, wanted me to shoot a bunch of stuff to identify them as a South Dakota company. Uh, they're actually North Sioux City, so they're in South Dakota. And uh, that was the springboard that I used to leave the newspaper and start a freelance career. And so that was 23 years ago. And from that, I just started to add different clients that were mostly smaller local and regional clients. And then got into the advertising world in 2000 with a larger format camera setup and started to work with larger uh, national corporate clients. And uh, that just kind of snowballed over the years. And today, today, my main client is Tractor Supply Company, which is based out of Brentwood, Tennessee. And I do pretty much all of their national branding work. Um, I do that type of work for Kubota Tractor Corporation. Uh, we do shoots with tractors and RTVs and all kinds of equipment around the country. Um, done a lot of work for, for Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad um, and then several different ag co-ops around the Midwest. Um, and most of the work is ag related or energy related. And uh, I do, I still do work for South Dakota State. Uh, they're one of the few college clients that I have. And so we get on campus every year for a couple of days and and go around and shoot the admissions photos. And that's quite a bit of fun to kind of feel like you're on campus again and living the life. But it's kind of a shock when you you start to photograph the kids and realize none of these people were alive when I was on campus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's like, Oh God, I really am an old geezer. And that's been going, that's been going on for quite a while because I'm, I just turned 50 this year. So, um, you know, I have kids that are older than most of the kids that I photograph on campus now. Mm -hmm. 
another one of my roles is doing the school's social media. And so sometimes I look into some archives of, you know, buildings, things like that. And even some older photographs, you know, like way back from like the, you know, 1950s or something. They'll have, you know, you can just see around Jaeger Hall, there used to be almost nothing. So yeah. that alone, like just seeing how campus has changed, I'm sure can ju- is that in itself is kind of crazy to see, I'm sure. It is crazy, but again, it's nice to be able to keep up with that being back on campus quite a bit. And two of my two oldest kids uh, went to SDSU and my second one's actually graduating in the spring. And so I'm there a lot anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I kind of keep up with it, but it's kind of funny to talk to people who maybe haven't been there for five years and then they come back for a game or something and they're just shocked at all the different, you know, construction that's going on and just the way things look differently all the time. I think it's great. In the beginning when the college went to Division One, there's a lot of us old timers that thought, oh, I don't know, that's, I don't know if we should go that, stretch ourselves that far. And in hindsight, it was a good idea. And I think it really uh, prodded campus to just flourish a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not giving sports the whole benefit of everything, but mm-hmm. it definitely gave us a little higher profile and um, I think it made a lot of our leaders want to step it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, and then a lot of money started coming in a lot more than we had before for a lot of these cool buildings and, and new construction projects. So overall, I think it's going in a great direction and it's it's fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. I also didn't realize that you traveled so as far as you do for your freelance work. Yeah. Um, generally, every year I'm probably... Well, I go to Tennessee probably three or four times a year for tractor supply. And then other southern states are pretty common. Texas, three or four times a year. Uh, Florida, a couple times a year, usually because we end up shooting there late in the year, uh, mostly for Kubota because they're trying to hold on to the greenery as long as they can, as late in the year as they can. And, of course, Florida is the place to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not bad going to Florida in November, December, January, yeah. doing a shoot there. Not yeah. going to complain. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then I haven't gone to the West as much as I have in, in past years, but it all depends on the clientele. Uh, when I was doing a lot more oil and energy work, I found myself more in the West and up in North Dakota quite a bit. And uh, I don't know. It just depends on the client and the year uh, and what the assignment uh, turns out to be. Sure. Um, so this next question might be a little difficult, but um, I like to ask if we have um, a photographer on. Do you have any specific photo that you go back to and just think like, wow, you know, that, like this is my absolute favorite photo that I've ever taken. Do you have anything like that? Yes, I do. Uh, okay. I have a quick, quick answer for that. And it's, it's an obvious one for me. Uh, it's a photograph of my dad. And uh, it's on my website, and I've, I've shown it several times to people. And uh, the reason that it means so much to me, it's a shot. He was a farmer uh, back where we grew up in Letcher. And it's a shot of him with the sun rising. Uh, he's next to the barn that uh, is on our farm, looking into the sunrise and just looking like a, you know, you know, a regular farmer. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it means so much to me is because the day that I shot it, it was the day after Christmas in 1994. 
and Jody and I had just moved back to South Dakota for me to start working at the Argus. And we just spent the holiday at home and knew that we'd be back in South Dakota for good. And I went out and did chores with him the next morning, did cattle, uh, feeding cattle and doing the whole cattle feeding and chore thing. And he never really liked being in photos uh, ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't mind if I just hung out with a camera, but he would never want to pose. And for some reason that morning when I was actually leading him through the gate and I saw the light and saw how everything looked great. And I said, could you just stand there and, and let me get a picture of you. And he just did it, which was very un, uncommon for him and mm-hmm. did that pose. And it just was a magical moment. And, you know, that photo is 20, almost 26 years old now. And it's to this day, it's definitely my favorite. When he passed away back in, in uh, 2011, that was the photo we used for his services and on his program and everything. And um, I don't know, that's always the one that I go to. That's my favorite photo of all. I had another question that's a little, it's a little different from your freelance work. I know you are friends with uh, one of Kojo's professors, Dr. Daly. And he told me that uh, you and your wife, I believe, have written a book on World War II. Yes. Uh, Yep. A book Um, called Blue Stars. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that, how you got into that? Uh, Yeah. Actually, we've done, I think, eight photography books about South Dakota on different subjects. And beginning with Back on the Farm, that was one that started back in 1999 and kind of launched our, our little book career. When it la- while it lasted, uh, but Blue Stars was one that, uh, let's see, to backtrack a little bit, I started to get interested, I've always kind of been interested in war history, but when we lived in Salina, Kansas, uh, in the mid-90s, the 50th anniversary of D-Day was in 1994, and the town of Abilene was very near Salina, and that's where Dwight Eisenhower grew up and where his presidential library is at. <clears throat> and so while I was at the paper that summer, we had to go over there uh, that June for a few days and cover the festivities and, and kind of shoot reenactors and just all different things going on. And I really uh, gained a huge appreciation for that generation during that, that short time of, of assignment work. And it just really piqued my interest in World War II and, and that history. And so that kept growing. And when I got back to South Dakota, uh, we did, uh, for one of the military holidays, it might have been Veterans Day or Memorial Day or whatever, uh, Carson Walker, a reporter at the time, and I went to do a story on Monsignor Francis Sampson, who was <clears throat> a very, very distinguished uh, chaplain in World War II. And the story was about how Francis was the inspiration for the movie Saving Private Ryan. And that's a true story. He, oh, okay. The, 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 the movie is a, is a little bit of a fictitious tale, but the, the core of that story is about Francis and how he went in uh, into the countryside to find a brother whose other brothers had been killed and brought him back to uh, the shores of France so he could go home. And that really is the basis for the for the movie. And so I was just stunned to be sitting yeah. there uh, taking photographs of this elderly gentleman in the chair telling these stories. And uh, it just blew me away. And from that point on, I thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool to just tell the story of average, you know, World War II veterans, but ones that were in South Dakota. 
and kind of tell the story of South Dakota's experience in World War II that way. And so that idea has always been in my head. When we started publishing our books in 1999 and 2000 in that era, I actively started to do the research for Blue Stars. The reason the name Blue Stars is from uh, the Blue Star banners that families would hang in their windows when soldiers were off to war. And a Blue Star on a banner meant that they had a, a serviceman in, in, the, in the war theater. Anyway, um, I started to do the research and ironically, my very first subject for uh, the book was uh, Lyle Olson's dad, who was, uh, Lyle Olson was the, or I believe still is the head of the journalism department there. And uh, his dad had built the church in Bristol, South Dakota. And so I kind of used him as my, I guess, my guinea pig to go and do the interview and all the interviews were recorded on audio. And then I would take a black and white portrait of each veteran afterwards. And so I went, took him to the church and shot him inside the church. And, and I just thought, wow, this was such a great experience. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to make this into a book. And so we ended up doing that with 44 different veterans across the whole state. Uh, the veteran had to have been born in South Dakota and come back to South Dakota uh, at, in the end. And that was really the only requirement for me. And then I tried to cover all different theaters throughout uh, Europe and the Pacific and in different, in different ways. People had served Pearl Harbor. I had one guy who served in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska when the Japanese tried to invade there, which is a little known story. And that's kind of how that happened. And sadly, today, there are only two of the 44 veterans left with us. They've just, you know, been dying all these years. And of course, they're all elderly. They're all in their 90s or were in their 90s. And I don't know, it's kind of sad to see all these people that you got to know and sat down at the kitchen table with and, and had a really deep conversation with pass away one by one. But it's I'm just really grateful to have, have known them and to have documented them. And I don't know, it's I, I got my own exercise, you know, speaking of podcasts, I got my own exercise in audio recording during that project where I took 10 of the stories from the 44 veterans and made it into a CD that was included in the book. And a friend of mine, Kurt Nickish, who worked at South Dakota Public Radio at the time, helped me edit it into like an, an NPR style story. And that was included with the book. And that, that is actually my favorite part of the whole project is, is all that audio, because listening to those stories and those voices just brings, brings them alive more than pictures on a page. And it's just fun to hear their voices over again when I listen to the CD. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot of really interesting connections within that. I never would have guessed, you know, about Saving Private Ryan, the connection to that film, or just the amount of stories that you're able to get from 44 different um, different people who experienced that. So, Yep. It was a great experience. It's definitely my favorite book experience that we've had. Yeah. Really, really probably my favorite professional experience I've had. I can honestly say that it, it was just overall the, the action of getting the stories and then the feedback afterwards and just the feeling of, of gratitude that I gained more so for all veterans after doing a project like that was just very rewarding for me. Yeah, absolutely. And what year did you say that you started this project? Uh, the book was published in 2004 and I started I did most of the interviews the year before and probably started the actual research of it in 2001 or 2002. Okay. 
Okay. So it's been around a while. Sure. And then after, after we did that, Wells Fargo sponsored a traveling exhibit of the, of the prints that would travel around South Dakota. And then I would go to the, the openings for those and, and meet the area vets and have talks and stuff. And oh, so it, it went, it went on for a while for about the next year. It was, it was a traveling exhibit and just, just a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. So it was just a continuation of that same experience and getting to meet more people and, you know, yep. stories. So, yeah. Yeah, it was great. So another quick question that I wanted to kind of leave off here with is, do you have any advice for students who are interested in doing kind of any sort of freelance work? You're obviously a freelance photographer, but is there any sort of advice that you could give to any freelancer that is interested in um, doing anything? Don't quit your day job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, it's, it's a tough road to hoe. I mean, people ask me that all the time and you know, it may sound, it may look easy from the outside looking at what I, what I do now and the fact that I'm really busy with clients and, and everything, but it really does take a lot of grunt work in the beginning to start that process. Uh, most of the work that I get is from word of mouth or from people who know somebody else who's used me or, and things like that. It's not just as easy as sending out uh, your portfolio and all of a sudden somebody's calling you up. I mean, it's, it's, there's more to it than that. It's a lot of who, you know, and that may sound discouraging to people, but you have to start somewhere. And during college is the best time to do that. You know, reach out to publications you want to work for and let them know that you're there and ask, Hey, how can I help? What could I do to impress you? Uh, and you know, most of the time they'll be you know, receptive to that. And they'll give you a, at least a small assignment to start with just to see how you handle it. And, you know, don't be discouraged by failure. Uh, failure is one of the most important parts of, you know, success really, whether it's in freelance or any journalism career, um, you learn from your mistakes. And uh, I still make mistakes all the time. I mean, I screw things up way more than I'd like to admit. And uh, you just learn from it and try and be better next time. But as far as, you know, starting freelance, just, you know, start doing it on the side. Like I said, it's, it's more about pursuing outlets that you really want to work for because you're going to do your best work when it's something that interests you and something that you have a lot of passion for. So, you know, don't waste your time doing work for, for things that you just don't care about because that's going to show on the work. It's going to show up. Sure. Um, it ends up being that way. Sometimes after a few years, you get shoots where it's like, I just don't want to do this. I don't really care about this product, but you still have to do it, you know, for the paycheck sometimes. And you have to find ways to put a positive spin on that and just say, well, I may not enjoy this, but I'm going to do the best I can and uh, not be a disappointment to anybody. And so that's always been my attitude, very upbeat, very positive. And the attitude that I've always had, and the reason I like freelance a lot is because you're only as good as the last assignment that you did, mm -hmm. you know, with a, with any other job, uh, whether it's in newspapers or really anything, there are days when you can mail it in and you're not going to get fired where you're just kind of like, eh, I just feel like crap today. I don't really feel like doing my best yeah. with this, with this job. I can never do that because that'll be the last time I work for that client. And that may seem like a lot of pressure, but I really enjoy that pressure. And that's what propels me to just keep doing better because I know I have to be on my game every time I shoot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's made me better. 
and so I guess those are some of the minor things that hopefully will uh, an aspiring freelancer would have as they look forward. I think that's some great advice. And then just out of curiosity, you kind of talked about this earlier for, with your transition between working for the Argus and becoming a freelancer. But at what point did you really know that you, that you were able to go from having a, you know, your daytime job to being a full-time freelancer? There was definitely a step in there. And when I, that was the whole gateway thing, the gateway, I'm trying to recall exactly how that worked. So this would have been in the summer of 97. Uh, they were actually doing some major advertising that showed off their South Dakota roots because that was their big identity. They had their boxes were they looked like Holstein cows. I think they still do with the big spotted boxes. Mm-hmm. And they took pride in the fact that they are from the prairie. And so they licensed several images from a bunch of us South Dakotans and paid a ton of money for them. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool right there. And the internet, well, at that time, the internet was still pretty, pretty new. And the, the one I'm trying to figure out what his title would be, be like the, the website with the website guy, even though their website didn't really exist very much at the time Mm -hmm. in any fashion that you would think a website would look like now. And he said, Hey, Greg, would you be interested in coming up with stories that profile South Dakota and we'll pay you for them. I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. And he said, we'll give you 500 bucks to go out and do a story and a photo, a photo package on anything you think is worthy of attention and just gave me free reign. And I thought, well, this is awesome because I was at the time I was getting about 500 bucks a week. So my whole week, week's pay was in one story and I thought well this is I'm all over this and so my plan was to get at least a year of that gig under my belt you know maybe average a story a week or so and then hopefully by then I'd have enough other clientele to you know be free and clear and not worry so much about money and that's pretty much how it worked because a year after that happened uh, Gateway moved their corporate headquarters to San Jose to be part of the whole uh, Silicon Valley, you know, movement okay. and kind of ditch their South Dakota roots. So I literally got exactly that year that I had hoped for before they completely ditched the whole idea. And it was, they put these stories into a magazine called Prairie Magazine. And it was, wasn't just my stories. It was a couple other people who did some work. I think Patrick Lally did some writing for it. He's a former Argus leader guy and a couple other folks in the South Dakota journalism community. And I ended up doing, I think, about 60 of those stories, which was, you know, a pretty decent year's wages uh, just doing those stories alone. And during that time, I, I fanned myself out to other clients and kind of grew the base. And so that was really the, the culmination of going from a real job at the newspaper to, I don't know what you call this job, <laughs> kind of flying by the seat of my pants yeah. for the rest of my life. Uh, in the first three or four years were a little bit rough. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty up and down. You have to have a mentality where you're ready. There's peaks and valleys and there's still peaks and valleys to this day. And you have to be, you have to have the intestinal fortitude to handle the valleys. The peaks are really easy to handle because it's fun. 
but the valleys when things are dry there's no work coming in or it's the middle of winter and or there's a pandemic and that that yeah. happened last spring uh you just have to be ready for that and and find ways to better yourself during that time um for myself when things are low i i usually turn to different projects that i want to improve uh or techniques i want to improve lately it's been video photography um in fact i'm driving right now out to timber lake to do a video piece on a female rancher friend and kind of make a a little mini documentary just a one or two minute thing about her um that i'm going to have on a new part of my website that profiles my video work okay uh and i'll, I'll build that this winter when we're having our second big shutdown starting any day now with covid uh right. sadly uh and uh and then hopefully some clients will take note of that i'm getting more and more requests for video all the time and video has been a lot of fun it's it's a, been a new way to kind of spark a fire that i haven't had for a while uh as far as you know tackling something new and uh i love the challenge so um you know always try and improve yourself in different areas and and i try to have as many irons in the fire as i can and this is definitely going to be a, a big new one for me yeah awesome i wanted to just uh thank you again for coming on i think you provided a lot of really good insights um talked about your experience you know that kind of gradual transition from a daytime um, position to doing full-time freelance work yeah i'm i really appreciate it and i'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well so thank you a lot greg Hey, thanks for having me on. And I, I loved my time at Kojo. It was a great experience. Uh, instructors like Jan Griesenbrock and Frank Clark and Lyle Olson and Jack Getz, Jim Smarada, all kinds of people that uh, Dick Lee, the late Dick Lee, were all very formative in my career. And I thank them all and, and the experiences I had there. Thanks for joining us. Our next episode will be available for download on December 4th. This podcast is a property of the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University, which reserves all rights to its use. Music by Cody M. Johnson and Tyler Addison James is licensed through AMP Music.